The story of Easter begins in the shadow of death. We read in verse 1 that the women return to the tomb, and I want you to see that they don't come with hope. They don't come with expectations that something has dramatically changed from the night before. You see, just a few hours earlier, they had watched as the body of Jesus had been laid in this tomb as the stone had been rolled up to block the entrance and as the guard was set at the tomb. They're returning to this tomb not with anticipation that something new has happened. They're not returning to this tomb with hope. They're returning to this tomb to deal with burial, to deal with long-term decomposition, to deal with a body that is dead. Nobody back then expected a resurrection. Just like today, dead bodies stay dead. The two Marys aren't there hoping for a miracle. They had been at the cross with Jesus' mother. They had watched Jesus die. They had heard his loud cries from the cross. They had seen the spear go into his side. They had watched as the Roman guards broke the legs of the other two men crucified on either side of Jesus. And yet when they came to Jesus, the guards saw that he was already dead. They knew that Jesus had died. But more than just being witnesses of Jesus' death, in a very significant way, they also had died. You see, messiahs and saviors, they're supposed to live. They're supposed to rule. They're supposed to conquer and reign. And so if somebody raised their hand and said, I'm a messiah, and then went and got himself killed, it was a pretty good bet that he wasn't the messiah. And so everything that they had hoped for with Jesus bled out of them just as they watched Jesus bleed out. Everything that Jesus had told them, the promises that Jesus had made to them, their hopes and dreams, they died the day that Jesus died. And so now they have come, the Gospel of Mark tells us, with spices, spices to anoint the body, to try to keep the devastating effects of death at bay for as long as possible. Hear me. They have not come to the tomb to remember Jesus. They have not come to experience in some mystical way His presence. They have not come to consider how spring brings with it the possibilities of new beginnings. They have come to deal with death. Even if they once believed, even if they once hoped, their actions now speak louder than words. Jesus is not coming back, and they are here to prepare his body for burial. This story, however, that begins with death, takes a surprising turn toward life. 
As Mary and the other Mary arrive at the tomb, their lives are shaken to the very core of their being. Literally, they are shaken. Verse 2, and behold, there was a great earthquake. But also their sense of what's normal. Their expectations. Their understanding of how life makes sense all of that was shaken by the message from the angel who rolled away from who rolled away the stone verse 6 he is not here he has risen just as he said these these women who had, who had come to write the last chapter of Jesus's life to see firsthand how death always wins in the end it's all been overturned not today apparently Not today, a day when heaven and earth intersect, a day when angels roll away stones, a day when earthquakes reveal new worlds. Death doesn't get the last say today. Now, how do the Marys respond to this challenging situation? Do they breathe a sigh of relief? Do they look at one another and go, I knew it! I remember when he said that. No. Do do they break out into hymns of praise and a beautiful descant one of them does to the melody? No. Do they skip back into town like a couple of kids with their Easter baskets? No. Instead, the surprise of life introduces fear. Confusion. They run away, verse 8 says, filled with fear and joy. Maybe that's a little different than what you expected the first Easter to look like. Particularly if you think maybe this is just a myth. Certainly the way that someone would write this story if they were trying to convince you is that these disciples were convinced by this evidence for resurrection. I'm so glad that the Bible doesn't shy away from the truth about Jesus' disciples. For the days following Jesus' resurrection, all of the disciples that we meet are filled with doubt. They are confused. They don't understand what's going on. Even Thomas himself says, I won't believe until Jesus shows up and I can stick my hand in his side. All of them think that the resurrection is too good to be true. So folks, if you are here this morning as a reluctant skeptic, if you want to believe, but you just can't, if you think the story of Jesus is just too good to be true, you're in good company. Because even his first disciples couldn't understand. They didn't find faith any easier than we do. They weren't spiritual supermen. They weren't spiritual superwomen. They even struggled to believe the testimony of an angel. I'm sorry, but I think if an angel showed up, I'd probably believe. When presented with the evidence of the resurrection, they balked at the surprising good news of life. Easter forces us to come face to face with death. 
But instead of finding death where we would expect it, Easter gives us new life. And as we celebrate Easter, we don't merely look back to a historic time. We're also celebrating the fact that we become participants in the life that Jesus gives us as his disciples. That was what the reading from Colossians 3 tells us. We have been raised with Christ, Paul says. Our life is now hidden with Christ in God. The resurrection isn't just something that we look back to. The resurrection actually changes us. It grabs us by the shoulders and shakes us. Just like that earthquake shook those women at the tomb. By his resurrection, Jesus actually changes you. Your sins are forgiven because of his resurrection. You are now righteous in the sight of God because of Jesus' resurrection. But in order to know that good news... In order to celebrate Easter, our own experience with Easter must begin in the shadow of death. Not just Mary and Mary here in verse 1, in the darkness of that first day. You and I must also go back to the tomb, to our own personal tombs, to our own deaths to our cosmic failure before our God, to our sin, to our failure, to our doubt. But there in our death, the risen Jesus meets us, and he gives us life. Eric, I I believe... I believe in life after death. I I believe that there's a heaven, and, and someday I'll go there. Well, Yes, obviously, that's something that we treasure and that we celebrate, but that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about life today, resurrection life that belongs to you and me, a life that even though we must die, that life will never be touched. You see, death, the judgment of God against sin, has been defeated in Christ's resurrection so that you and I can be at peace with God. Peace that overflows into this experience of life. Friends, let me ask you, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of chasing after lesser hopes and dreams? Aren't you tired of trying to find something that will give you peace? Something that will give you satisfaction? Instead of finding your identity as the children of God. When Jesus rose from the dead, he gave his life to his disciples. They were still the same men and women that they were before. They still struggled with sin, but they were transformed that day. They were changed by the resurrection that day. He transformed them from a fearful band of misfits into the witnesses of his resurrection and into the ambassadors of his heavenly kingdom. He sends them his Holy Spirit so that they can participate in this new heavenly life 
even as they live their earthly lives. From here on out, they have one foot on earth and one foot in heaven. They live and breathe this earthly life, but what courses through them is Jesus' resurrection power. And here's the problem. The problem for you and me is that we don't really believe it. We don't really expect life. Instead, we carry our spices in our pocket to try to cover up the smell of our death. We don't think that we really participate in this new life that Jesus promises us. Why is that? Why do we struggle so much here? It may be because some of us have never actually come face to face with the risen Jesus. It's because we still doubt. It's because we don't believe. My prayer for you this morning is that as you read these eyewitness accounts that are better attested than almost any other ancient source, that you are brought to a place where you have to bow the knee. But maybe you do believe. Maybe you say, I am a Christian, but I still struggle in this way. I'm still trying to cover up the smell of my own death. Friends, in order to live in light of the resurrection, we must first deal with the darkness of our sin. And that's about the worst thing that some of us can ever imagine doing. The resurrection of Jesus invites us into our places of death. It asks us to go to the tomb of our sin, to the tomb of our failure, to the tomb of our fear, to the tomb of our faithlessness. And the promise is that when we reach that tomb, we will be surprised by life. What prevents you this morning from looking into the tomb of your sin, your failure, and your fear? Do you expect death? Do you draw up tentatively, holding your nose, averting your eyes? Friends, Jesus has died. And if you belong to him, you have died too. And Jesus has risen again. And if you belong to him by faith, then you have risen too. And the tombs of your life are empty places. He gives us life in our places of death. In all of our doubt, in all of our fear, in all of our trembling, death no longer reigns over you. Not the natural death that all of us must pass through. Not the supernatural death that is God's judgment against sin. The stones have been rolled away. And the life of the risen Christ animates your life even today. The glad announcement of Easter rings out not just in history, but in all the dark places of our own hearts. He has risen. Do you believe that? That's what makes us Christians. It's not your success. It's not your heroics. 
It's not how much you've improved in life. It's not how many times you have vowed to change. It is your death and resurrection in Jesus Christ. The only way that Christianity is true, factually true, experientially true, is if the resurrection of Jesus is true. The Bible is not a good book for you to try to live by if Jesus is still buried somewhere in the Middle East. Jesus is not a helpful moral guide for your children if he did not raise from the dead. Nothing about Christianity should ever be believed, should ever be accepted, should ever be treasured or practiced unless Jesus is risen from the dead. The only way that you and I can have confidence that God is at work, at work in you and me, at work in the world, at work in history, is if Jesus is risen from the dead. The resurrection proves that Jesus didn't have to atone for his own sins. Death couldn't hold him because it had no right to him. The resurrection proves that the Father accepted Jesus' sacrifice for your sins and for my sins. And that means that His resurrection now becomes our own hope. Just as He was raised, so also our loved ones will be raised. Just as He was raised, so also we will be raised. The resurrection is the dawn of the new creation. Those women who got there as it was still dark, dawn of the first day, had no idea what day it was. They thought it was the first day of the week. But it's the first day of the new creation. Of a new world where death does not have the last laugh. Where sin does not win. And where rebels are welcomed as God's children. How do you respond to this? We'll probably be a little bit like the two Marys. A little bit of joy and a little bit of fear. And friends, that's exactly what faith is. Faith isn't just thinking fond thoughts about Jesus. Faith is being surprised when Jesus meets us in our places of death, not with condemnation, but with new life. Faith knows that the life that we are only just beginning to experience is now merely the foretaste of the resurrection life that waits for all of us who have been loved to life by the Lord of life. Let's pray. Father, like those two Marys, we come to this passage and we can be confused, confounded, shocked, cautiously hopeful, and yet worried. But Father, what we cannot be is unmoved. 
We will either hear these words and respond in faith, saying, help my unbelief, or we will hear these words and walk away. But Father, may we hear these words and be drawn more and more to follow you, even when we have to wrestle with fear, even when our joy is diminished. Father, help us to come face to face with all of the dark places of our lives, with all of the tombs of our sin and failure, and to see Jesus there, risen from the dead, so that we can be forgiven and raised again to new life in him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.